Pastor John Cannon and the Congregation of Victory Church welcome you to this message from the Word of God. It is our heartfelt desire to see you grow closer to the Lord and to help you become all that He has created you to be. Our prayer is that through this ministry you would come to know Him in a greater way and that these teachings from Scripture would better equip you to fulfill His plan in your life. Now, let's join Pastor John as we study the Word together. Jude. Let's turn there, if you will, please. Jude. I started to say chapter, but there's only one chapter. Jude, verse one. We're going to go down to verse number three again. Uh, but before uh, before I actually start unpacking verse three, I want to go back and read verse number one and following, because I think there's some great material here as we look into the book of Jude. It says Jude, a slave of Jesus Christ and a brother of James, to those who are men. I love this part. I just can't hardly get away from it. To those who are called, loved by God the Father, and kept by Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. And then in verse number 3, he says, dear friends. Now, that's a pastoral term. Uh, the old King James Version probably starts off beloved or beloved. Uh, it's a very endearing term there. And, and Jude is showing a tremendous amount of pastoral care when he's writing this. He says, Dear friends, although I was eager to write to you about the salvation we share, I found it necessary to write and exhort you to contend for the faith. Now, once again, I've already unpacked that word exhort with you before, but I want you to get the word picture once again. That's a, like a military term. It's like a general standing before his troops and he's giving them marching orders and he's not asking them if they would like to do this. He's telling them this is what they must do, okay? That's the same type of verbiage that we find in this, with this word picture, if you will, with exhort. I exhort you to contend, to rise up, to fight, to take charge, that you contend for the faith that was once delivered to the saints once for all. For some men who were designated for this judgment long ago have come in by stealth, and they are ungodly, turning the grace of our Lord into promiscuity, denying, get this, denying, everybody say denying, denying Jesus Christ our Master and Lord. Now that's some serious business, is it not? I mean, Jude is exposing some serious issues within the church. He said, I wanted to write to you this warm, fuzzy letter about our common salvation that we all share. And I want to just preach on Jesus and preach on heaven and just write to you and encourage you and let it be a very lighthearted letter, if you will. He said, however, I've been made aware, and I even see it, that some have come in by stealth and they're preaching another doctrine that is not, or another gospel that is not another other gospel, as he says in Galatians, and they've come in unaware, and now there are those that are denying Jesus Christ, our Master and our Lord. Guys, that's serious business. Hello? That's serious business that's taking place. And how do you think, how do you think a church gets to that point? How do you think that a church gets to the place where, man, they're, they're striving for the Lord, they're living for Christ, they've sold out to Him, they've, they've, they've got into this new way of living, and now all of a sudden they are denying the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you think it just happens that quick overnight? 
I don't think it does. I, I think there's a process that takes place. I think there's a tremendous amount of compromise in, our, in their own individual's life, how what they once saw in, in God's Word and was convicted by, maybe sometimes not so much convicted by it anymore, and just withdraw more and more and more from the gospel of Jesus Christ. And guys, we got to understand that everything centers around the gospel of Jesus Christ. You can't get to heaven on your own. You can't work your way there. You can't live a good enough life to get there. We all are in need of a Savior, right? Tell your neighbor they're in need of a Savior. Go ahead right now. You need a Savior. Every single one of us needs a Savior, right? Why do we need a Savior? Because we're, we're lost. We, we are, of all people, most miserable if we don't know Jesus Christ as our personal Savior. So we've got to stay true to the gospel. But it amazes me how these individuals have gotten to the place where they are now denying Jesus Christ, our Master and our Lord. Guys, do you realize that in our culture today that folks really aren't too offended if you say, um, you know, I believe in God or, you know, I pray to God. You know, people really aren't offended if you just say, God, are they? But where folks get a burr in their saddle, where they get a little raw, if you will, is when you mention Jesus, right? And that's where Satan gets a little upset too. Matter of fact, that's where he loses. That's where he is defeated when you mention the name of Jesus Christ because he is the one that conquered death, hell, and the grave and rose again victoriously. But I think we're living in a world today that they're not, they're not really too much offended if you mention God. But boy, when you start talking about Jesus. And guys, listen, I don't want us to be a church that, that puts away or minimizes who Jesus Christ is and was and what he did for us and how we need him today. We are nothing without Jesus. Do you agree? I mean, there's no hope of heaven whatsoever without Jesus. There's no peace in your life without Jesus. There's no love in your heart without Jesus. I mean, we are of all people completely lost and undone and on our way to a devil's hell apart from the saving grace of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must never be apologetic for preaching about Jesus. Hello? Okay? So I just wanted to kind of get that off my chest and throw it out there. Last week, I started talking about this thing, contending for the faith. And I got through two of my three points. Tonight, I want to wrap it up, my third point. And then next week, we're going to leave verse 3, and we're going to jump down into verse number 4 and 5 and following and start leaving verse number 3. I know we've been hung up there uh, for a while, but I think there's a tremendous amount of material that's there that we need to just slow down and lead into and discern and dig out of and unpack and in our own lives so we can see what Jude is writing about here. Last week I talked to you about the reason to contend and one of the main reasons we should, well there's a couple of reasons, this is a recap real quickly. Last week I shared with you on some of the reasons we should contend for the faith. What was number one? Because no one, we're commanded to, we're told to in scripture, right? To contend for the faith. The apostle Paul and, and Peter and, and Jude, others, had set the example on how they contended for the faith. So we have the example of the apostles. We have the command of the word of God. But another reason why we should contend for the faith is because apostasy does exist. Okay? It does exist. And we talked about that last week and I won't rehash that for you tonight. So that's the reason. And the second thing we talked about was some of the reaction of contending for the faith. Now, the reactions are going to vary. 
Matter of fact, here's what we um, unpacked a little bit at the end of the message last week. And we, we talked about how the reaction is whenever we start really contending for the faith, I mean, when we get to the place where we're really exposing false doctrine, when we get to the place where we're really bringing out the Bible, God's Word, and we're saying, hey, you know, I just don't, that's not what Scripture teaches. This is what Scripture teaches. Hopefully, the first response or reaction to the individual that we are contending for the faith with, and by the way, we're to do this in love, right? We're not, we're not, we're not enemies one with another. And by, and by the way, who is Jude writing to? He's writing to believers, okay? And an apostate is one who is and was a, or I should say, was a believer in Jesus Christ. So it's a brother or sister in Christ that we're to treat all with respect, we're to treat all with love, so we don't go there and, and bully them up with the Word of God. We go there with a tender heart and a contrite spirit and, and a broken heart, and, and we share with them in love. Brother, sister, I think maybe you're out of the book here. Let me, let me show you what I think the Bible's teaching me here, and, and we look at it, and we start leaning into the verse together, and we start digging out the truth of the Word. Hope Hopefully what's going to take place is the first thing to where, oh man, they'll examine it. So you know what? Thank you for sharing that with me. I, I almost got off track a little bit there. And maybe my perspective and my interpretation, my hermeneutics wasn't exactly right there. And, and, and thank you, brother. God bless you. And the Bible says if we do that, we have restored a brother. We've saved a soul. Right? Now, when I'm talking about contending for the faith, I'm not talking about being mean. I'm not talking about being mean-spirited. I'm talking about going in love and trying to keep a brother and sister in Christ in the center of the gospel of the doctrine of the Word of God. So hopefully they will examine. And then, of course, the result is as they examine that they're going to embrace the Scripture and embrace the truth of the Word of God. And we talked about that a little bit last week. But unfortunately, what's going to happen with some? When you start contending for the faith and exposing false doctrine and exposing error, and seeing where they have gotten out of the book and, and away from the gospel of Jesus Christ and away from the doctrines of the scripture of the word of God, there will be some who will evacuate. And they're going to say, you know what? I, no, that's no longer for me. And that's really what an apostate does. They deny the power of the word of God. They deny the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so then they just evacuate and they completely get out of the book. They completely get out of the Word of God. And they completely get out of, of the church. So we don't want that to happen though, do we? We want this examining and this embracing. And that's why we got to be careful how we go and approach someone that may be out of the book so that they don't get to the place where they are now denying Jesus Christ as you said that they were. Okay, does that make sense? So that's some of the reasons why we should contend, some of the reaction of contend. What does that lead to? Well, there are some results. What are some of, some of the results of contending for the faith? You know, as I started digging this out and, and looking, what's some, of, what's some of the positives that even come out of contending for the faith? I mean, yeah, I know I'm supposed to do it, okay? I've been commanding in God's Word to do it. I've got the example of the apostles that lived before me, how, how they contended for the faith. And I realize that, that apostasy does happen. So I, I know I'm to be contending for the faith. I understand some of the reactions that are going to take place. But what's some of the ultimate results of a, of a church body, a family of believers that are collectively together contending for the faith? You know what? I don't even remember if I have slides for this. That may be all I have. I, I don't remember. Uh, but here's what I want you to jot down. Contending for the faith 
will give you strength. It will strengthen you as an individual. Now, what do I mean by that? You know, the whole book of Hebrews was written with the premise or the theme, if you will, of growing on to spiritual maturity. That, that we are no longer where we were when we got saved. That, that we have grown in the gospel. That we've grown in the word of God. That we are being transformed more to the image of Jesus Christ. And, and hopefully we're more like him today than we were a year ago or five years ago or ten years ago. Okay, that's, that's part of the result of it. But as we are contending for the faith and we're staying true to Scripture and we're staying in the Word of God and, and we're exposing false doctrine and error and, and we're going and we're restoring a brother or sister in Jesus Christ and keeping them from going down the road to apostasy, you know what it's ultimately doing? It's strengthening you as an individual and at the same time it's strengthening the body of Christ and it's strengthening the church as a whole. So that we are no longer tossed to and fro with every wind and doctrine and fable that comes by. Hello? Matter of fact, is there a chapter and verse for that? I'm glad you asked. I want you to turn, if you will, to the book of Ephesians. I want you to look here in Ephesians. Everybody say Ephesians 4. Ephesians 4 verse 11. I want you to go there real quick. Ephesians 4 verse 11. You see, if we know what we believe... And if we know why we believe it, man, there's going to be tremendous strength that you are going to gain in your Christian life. You're not going to be threatened by the false wind of doctrines that come by. Matter of fact, whenever you listen to people preach or teach or talk and you listen to singers sing and then in between the songs they try to give you some theology, which sometimes I think, man... God didn't call you to be a theologian. He called you to be a great singer and a musician. Just sing and play. Let somebody else do the preaching. I've heard some horrendous stuff at concerts. And I don't even know what happened at Winter Jam. I mean, I don't have a clue. Hopefully it was good. Man, I've, I've sat there and I've heard. I'm thinking, just sing, dude. You know what? <laughs> right? Okay. Look, look here, if you will. In verse number 11. And he personally gave some. Get this now. And he personally gave some to be apostles, and I'm going to come back and unpack this in just a moment, to be apostles and some prophets and some evangelists and some pastors and teachers for the training of the saints in the work of ministry. Why were these gifts, Paul's right here, why were these gifts given to the church? And by the way, the Bible tells us in Corinthians and and other passages of Scripture where, where God has given us spiritual gifts to individual believers. But at the same time, not only has he given every single one of us spiritual gifts, but he has also gifted the church. Well, what has he given to the church? Well, that's what he's telling us right here. He said, I've given you apostles, I've given you prophets, I've given you evangelists, I've given you pastors and teachers, which, by the way, is a dual office. It's not pastors slash teachers. It's pastor-teacher, okay? And I want to talk about that in just a moment. For the training of the saints in the work of ministry, get this, to build up the body of Christ. The reason these have been given is to build up the body of Christ until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a what? Say mature. Growing into what? Growing into a mature, get this, a mature man 
with a stature measured, measured by what? Other believers in the church? Three rows down and two rows back and, and that person or that lady or that man? No, 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 no. We don't compare ourselves among ourselves. The Bible says when we do that, we are not wives in Corinthians, okay? But we are comparing ourselves to the stature of who? To the fullness of Christ Jesus, okay? Are you getting this? Listen, this is good stuff right here. This is where I, I, I started in Jude so I could get to here, okay? Sometimes um, I was telling somebody the other day, I said, really, all my messages are the same. I just have different titles and different starting places. And they kind of all come, no, but that's not necessarily always true. But anyhow, we see right here. Until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of God's Son, growing into a mature man with a stature measured by Christ's fullness, then, look at verse 14. I'm talking about results of contending for the faith. Then we will be no longer little children tossed by the waves and blown around by every wind of teaching, by human cunning with cleverness in the techniques of deceit. Wow. You know what the results of contending for the faith is? The result of listening to the, to the chief, if you will, the general, if you will, and that's Christ Jesus our Lord, and looking into the written word of God, and we are contending for the faith, and we're doing that in love, and we're trying to get a brother or sister to examine the gospel, to examine the word of God, so that they will embrace it, and we correct the false doctrine that may be in the church, and whenever we are doing that, the result is it's going to strengthen you, and it's going to strengthen the local church, and it's going to strengthen the universal church, and we're all going to be stronger, and the Bible says in Ephesians 4 and 14, then, then we will no longer be blown around by every wind of teaching. And by the way, there's a whole lot of, of windy teaching taking place today that is not biblical. Now, are they drawing a crowd? Yes. Am I the most popular person in the world for exposing that? I promise you, no. Right? But we must take seriously the command in Scripture that we contend for the faith, that we expose false doctrine. And when we do that, it's going to strengthen you as an individual. It's going to strengthen the local church. It's going to strengthen the universal church, the body of Christ. And now we are not going to be deceived. Hello? We're not going to be tossed to and fro with every wind of doctrine and teaching that comes by. And there's a whole lot of it that comes by. Matter of fact, there's some publishing houses that I won't even buy any of their books. And some of their books may be good, but I know they have so many that are not, I just don't buy any because I can't trust that publishing house. So whenever someone gives me a book, the first thing I look at, who's publishing this book? That would give me a pretty good idea if this is sound doctrine coming or not. You see, guys, it's important. It's so important that we have a spirit of discernment about what we read, about what we listen to, about the bandwagon we jump on and, and, and the conferences we go to. We must be careful. Everybody smile. Just smile. <laughs> we must be careful, right? Because there are false doctrines out there. And here's something I've discovered. The occults that are so strong today, how did they get their following? They got their following from the church. 
They didn't really go out there and proselyte a lost world. They got those individuals that accepted Christ and kind of just babes in Christ and they kind of just in church, maybe not fully committed, but just kind of playing around with it. And then all of a sudden they get pulled aside. And you know, maybe you've seen it in your life. I've seen it numerous times in my own personal life. And guys, we got to be careful with that. And we must contend for the faith. Now go back up. I want you to look at these gifts that God gave the church. Okay? And matter of fact, whenever I look at verse number 11... And then whenever I look around today in our world, I see, I can just see by titles sometimes that people are not preaching the true doctrine of the Word of God. Just what's the title behind your name? If you call yourself an apostle, I don't think you're true to Scripture. I told you I don't win popularity contests, but I've got to be true to the Word. Look what he says. And he personally gave some to be apostles. Now what are apostles? Apostles are the sent ones, okay? Apostles are the sent ones. But I want you to know that there are no apostles today, right? One of the requirements to be an apostle, according to Acts chapter 1, in verse number 21 and 22, one of the requirements is that you had to have seen the risen Lord, right? I mean, you had to have seen the risen Lord. And some people say, well, was Paul an apostle? Oh, yeah. He saw the risen Lord. When he said, on the road to Damascus, he saw the, living, the risen Lord, right? Matter of fact, Paul even called himself an apostle due out of season or born out of, out of due time. And what he was simply meaning by that is, you know, I'm kind of out of the framework of where the apostles were, but I saw Jesus, right? So to be an apostle, matter of fact, in Acts chapter 1, they were trying to pick another apostle. And, of course, they messed up. When they, and man's going to always mess up when they get in and do it their way. Instead of trusting God to do it his way, right? They messed up there. But there are no apostles today, okay? I just want to nail that down just so you know that. And then he says, I gave some prophets. I gave some prophets to the church. I gave apostles. The requirements for apostles, they are the sent ones. They are the ones that have seen the risen Christ. They have walked with him and talked with him and have seen him. They are these sent ones now that are going out proclaiming this, this gospel of Jesus. There's no more of those today. But then there's prophets. He said, I also gave prophets. Now, you've got to understand there's two types of prophets. There is foretelling and there is forthtelling. Two types of prophets. The prophets that we are most... I guess that we're most familiar with in Scripture are the foretelling prophets. Okay? The ones we read is when we read about the prophets in the Word of God, those prophets were foretelling the Word of God. But I want you to know something, church. We no longer need foretelling prophets, like telling your fortune or you know, what your future is going to be and predicting that for you. And, and you've heard of churches where they have these sessions where they rise up and somebody says something and somebody else interprets it and somebody prophesied over you and, and somebody leaves and they're totally stressed out because they just prophesied you're going to die tomorrow. <laughs> That's kind of a joke there, but wherever that goes, okay? I put no stock in that whatsoever. Let me tell you why I don't put any stock in that whatsoever. Because I do not believe those type of prophets exist 
today, we no longer need foretelling prophets for two reasons. One is the foundation of the church has already been established and built upon the gospel of Jesus Christ. The second reason we don't need any foretelling today is because we have the full canon of Scripture. We've got God's Word written down for us, inspired, infallible, inerrant. We have the God-breathed Word of God. I don't need anybody else telling me what God is wanting me to know. He'll tell me in the Word of God. Another reason I don't need foretelling today is because I have the Holy Spirit living within me. The minute I accept Christ as my Savior, the author of the book himself takes up residence in my life. And then as I am reading the Scripture, the full canon of Scripture, the complete Word of God, the Holy Spirit is doing His job of illuminating my heart, my mind, the Word of God, the text. He's convicting, He's drawing, He's teaching. He's rebuking. He's leading me. That's all we need, church. Now, we do need forth-telling prophets. Well, who are the forth-telling? That's just anybody that's willing to stand up and proclaim, Thus saith the Lord. And by the way, friends, you can be a forth-telling prophet tomorrow morning on your job. Hello? We're just proclaiming what God says in His Word. Okay? So that's the type of prophets that we find in Scripture. And then the other gift that He gave are evangelists. Now, who are evangelists? Well, I believe that as we start running Scripture and looking around, I believe this is kind of a term for church planners and missionaries and those that have the gift of, of really going and establishing a church and a ministry and, and, and missionaries around the world and uh, even here in America. I believe that's where that category would fall in. And by the way, there are some great church planners that are horrible pastors. There's a difference and maybe you've had to have done it to experience it and know, but it's a whole different gift set of digging something out and being an evangelist. You see, there's a whole lot of people that are really good at getting people saved, but they're not really good at discipling them and growing them in the Word. And that's just a gift. You've got to know where your gifts are. Are you with me? Okay? I've got to stop here. I've got something I've got to do here in just a moment. Okay, that's evangelists, these missionaries, these church planners. And then the next gift to the church are the pastors and teachers. Now, I believe this is the dual function, the dual office of a, of a pastor. You see, I believe there is a difference in preaching evangelistically and teaching for maturity. You know, I, I've got five or six sermons. I mean, they're hot, fiery red. And, and you know when you have a guest speaker come in, you have an evangelist come in, and man, he just preaches that one, everybody's snotting and crying, got your emotions going everywhere, and man, you're just on fire, you're, on, you're up, you're down, you're, you're weeping, you're excited, you're ready, and you know, there are people that are gifted for that. But really all you need is about five sermons. Really? You, well, you need five sermons and a car, because you can't stay in one spot and preach them. Right? You just travel around and travel around and travel around and travel around and, and preach them. And that's a great gift. But to be a pastor, it's going to take more than just five of your best sermons. Matter of fact, it's going to take you digging and unpacking. That's why I like that term so much. Another term I'm falling in love with is leaning into the Scripture. 
and digging out of exegeting the word. Man, that's important. And that's a role of a pastor to, to shepherd and lead the church. But at the same time, you've got to be able to teach and equip and train and grow the people to spiritual maturity. And I'm not the best at any of these. But I strive diligently and hard. And I hope you can tell the preparation that I put into a message. I just don't wing it when I get up here. And it's not something that I've just kind of thrown together at the last minute. Oh, yeah, i got to preach in the morning. It's 11 o'clock Saturday night. Uh Uh-uh. Matter of fact, if I don't have it locked and loaded by Thursday or Friday of that week, I am stressing out. I don't ever want to get up here and not be prepared and wing it. Far too much at stake to do that. Number one, I got to stand before God one day and give an account of the time that God allowed me to steward. Hello? Then I got to give an account of what I proclaim from this pulpit. And in my life. And so anyhow, we got to have pastors and teachers. That's kind of the gift to the church. And I think that's a dual office. Now, I'm not minimizing teachers in the church. Man, we need teachers in the church. But I think with the, the correct interpretation of Scripture right here, this lines up best with a dual office pastor and teacher in the church. Shepherding, caring, leading, overseeing, and teaching and equipping And then it rolls right back to Ephesians 4, equipping so they'll grow to spiritual maturity and not be tossed about with every wind and wave of doctrine so that they can grow to do the work of the ministry. And we're shepherding and praying and shepherding and praying and teaching and teaching and shepherding and praying and teaching and teaching and shepherding and praying. Hopefully it all comes together. That's kind of the mindset. Okay? Are you with me? All right, so that's some of the results. The strengthening of the saints. Man, the last one, I'm not even going to have time for this one, but jot this down. It will solidify our faith. Not only will it strengthen the saint, but contending for the faith solidifies our faith. Now, and I'm not going to have time to unpack this, but I just want to, I just want to hit it and I'm going to be done. I want you to turn your Bibles to the book of Titus. The book of Titus. It's right after First and Second Timothy. The book of Titus, chapter 2. Verse number 1, really down through verse number 10, even a little bit further if you'd like. But, but there I think you can get the picture of it. Whenever a church is taking seriously the command of contending for the faith, I think it will bring, it will solidify, if you will, the faith that the local church has. And I think it will do this. I think it will show the, the, the relationship that we should have in the local church. Now, when I'm talking about when everybody together is contending for the faith. I believe what we have in the local church is pictured here in Titus chapter 2, verses 1 and 10. I think you see the church family coming together and the church family being formed here. But, but listen, if we're not on the same page doctrinally, and if we're not rallying around the gospel of Jesus Christ, and we're allowing every other type of doctrine to come in, then we're going to be a disjointed bunch of people. Are you with me? But if we are contending for the faith, there's going to be that solidification that's going to take place of our faith and that rally cry, if you will, and that spirit of unity. And then I think we can have relationships like mentioned in chapter, or chapter 2 of the book of Titus. Look there. But you must say the things that are consistent with sound teaching. Now, I want you to notice in verse 2 he talks about older men. In verse number 3 he talks about older women. In verse number 6 he talks about the young men. In verse number 9, he talks about slaves. I think you could put a slash to that today and put employees there. That's kind of the the tone that it would be sharing with us. 
So here you see the embodiment of the local church and all that's taking place. And you can see how they're coming together and they're, they're being solidified around the gospel of Jesus. Look what it says in verse 2. Older men are to be level-headed, worthy of respect, sensible, sound in faith, love, and endurance. Guys, the only way you can get that is when you're contending for the faith. You're staying true to the scripture and the word of God. The result is we're going, to have a, we're going to have a body, a church body of older men that are rock solid. Man, let the storms come. Let the, let the winds and the weak doctrines come. It's not going to shake them at all. And listen, when I'm saying older men, I'm not saying because you're 60 and older, this is you. I'm not talking about your physical age. I'm talking about spiritual maturity. You see, there's, there's some folks, because they get older, they think they have a right to just do and say whatever. Not, if it doesn't line up with Scripture, you don't. Are you with me here? The, these older men, in verse number 3, in the same way, older women are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers, not addicted to much wine. They are to teach what is good so they may encourage the young women. Get this. They encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children. Don't you think we need more of this in America today? Hello? Where are the role models for our young women today and our young men today? Let me tell you where they are. They're in the church. But the church is becoming anemic because we're allowing every wind of doctrine to slip into the church. And now we're disjointed and we're not having this type of relationship because we're not rallying together and contending for the faith of the gospel of Jesus Christ and being willing to be ostracized when we point out false doctrine. But guys, that's a price we must be willing to pay if we're going to have a Titus 2 church. Y'all with me? I want to say this with a smile, okay? I don't want to be too mean. But we got to live here. Older women, encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be self-controlled, to be pure. What? To be pure. Can you be pure to young girls? Yes, you can be pure. Hello? Young men, you can be pure. In a world today that's flooding the TV and the songs and media with pornography and sex and violence and, and, and just trashing our minds, you can be pure today. Hello? But it's going to take some older women that are solid in their faith, contending for the faith, that's solidifying the church. It takes all of us, guys. And it, and it takes all of us being willing to contend are you with me? Man, this is good stuff. <clears throat> Pure, homemakers, kind, submissive to their husbands so that, get this, why are we doing all this? So that God's message will not be slandered. Wow, pretty good reason to do it, don't you think? And I don't have time to unpack this anymore. Go on, verse 6, in the same way, encourage the young men to be self-controlled in everything. And then he says, make yourself an example of good works with integrity and dignity in your teaching and your message is to be sound beyond reproach so that the opponent will be ashamed having nothing bad to say about us. Wow. Mm, there's a whole series of messages right here just rallying through my brain right now. Verse 11 or verse 9. Slaves, 
And when it mentions slaves right here, I want you to think about employees. Think about the one that you are working for, that, that person you're working for, okay? You're, you're the slave for that person, all right? You're the employee of your employer. That's kind of the word picture I want you to get here. Are to be submissive to their masters in everything and to be well-pleasing, not talking back or stealing, but demonstrating utter faithfulness so that they may adore the teaching of God, our Savior, in everything. For the grace of God has appeared with salvation for all people, instructing us to deny, to, to deny godlessness and worldly lust and to live in a sensible, righteous, and godly way in the present age. As more I can say, i got to stop. Guys, if we would get serious about contending for the faith, as Jude said, we can have a Titus 2 church. But you'll never have that until we take seriously the command to contend for the gospel, the faith of the Lord Jesus Christ. We must rally around the doctrine and the teaching of the word of God and not allow it to become diluted or make apologies for it or allow false teaching to come in. We may lose a friend or two, but we must stand for the truth of the word of God. Hello? Are we ready to do that? All right, I am. I hope you are. Well, thank you for joining us for this message from the Word of God. We know that the truth you have just heard will change your life if you believe it and intentionally apply it. If you need someone to pray with or maybe you just want someone to talk to, please call us at 618-622-9360. That's 618-622-9360. Or you can email us at victory at victorychurchonline.net. If you're interested in obtaining more teaching materials, or if you'd like to partner with us in this ministry, please contact us. You can email or call, or send a request to 715 Lake Point Center, Suite 109, O'Fallon, Illinois, 62269. Come and check us out on the web at www.victorychurchonline.net. And again, we thank you and are glad you could join us.